1: Hey everybody, welcome into another edition of Tone the Slab, pitching with David Cohn. It is episode number 117, where we talk pitching with the five-time World Series champ, the former Cy Young Award winner David Cohn, the research ace James Smythe, myself Justin Shackle, producer Dan Rourke is with us as well, and it is Thanksgiving weeks. So we want to wish you, all the listeners and the viewers out there, a happy and healthy Thanksgiving with your loved ones. Uh, it does feel like the baseball news, fellas, is only speeding up though through this holiday week. Uh David, James, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to a bunch of other topics, but let's uh let's welcome you in with a, a fun topic because I think it's ton fun, it's based on food. So, I think we've had this discussion in the past as well. Guys, what is the most in important item on your Thanksgiving food table? Like, hey, Thanksgiving isn't Thanksgiving unless you have this. Take it away, guys.
0: Well, you know, for me, it, it, everybody's got an old school family recipe, and this one goes back to uh, my father's mother, my grandmother, Cleo Cone, uh, was uh, had this sort of this red hot um, cranberry sauce, and it sort of was a mix of of hot and sweet, and it was just unique that I've never seen it anywhere else. But it was it's the old Cone family recipe, and for me, if I don't have that sort of red hot Hot and kind of that combination, not sweet and sour, more hot and sweet kind of combination that's just really unique. That's just, you know, personal on a personal note, that's it for me.
2: The triumvirate cliche, but still turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing. You know, you have the ace of the rotation. You have your, your, your back, your middle of the rotation starter. So they get it done. But also, uh, uh, as far in my life, uh, my mother-in-law's cranberry sauce, homemade, really great, and it's a new it's a new contender towards the top of the rotation there interesting I have I have
1: questions for for David's uh sauce there but uh but for me it's my father's twice baked potatoes mm. uh on a personal note I'm not cooking this year heading out of town but uh the, there's only one way and I've I, I've said it before I need to reiterate it there's really tr- one true way to consume your turkey and that is from the smoke variety. Not frying, not in the oven, smoked turkey, you will not be disappointed once you have it. You won't want turkey any other way. And I love barbecuing. Uh you got to take the bird off at 155, let it rest to 165 everyone thinks you got to cook it to 160 165 no then it rests till like 170 and that's when you get shoe leather 155 is the magic number you take it off and then it cooks itself but david is this like is this like burn your mouth hot and and it tastes so good you deal with the spiciness what give me give me a little bit more background here
0: well that's the key to it right that, that delicate balance where you know it pops in your mouth it's kind of you're trying to figure it out as you're swishing it around in your mouth this is sweet this is hot it's the right balance that really made it and only cleo cone can get that balance we we've tried to sort of replicate it over the years my sister crystal has tried it on at times when she has thanksgiving at her house but the problem is is that our my family's all spread out now in the midwest all over i'm down in florida right now so it's hard for us to get together as a family like we once did but when we do that recipe is the thing that brings us all together and, and sort of you know it's connecting the dots of the generations and talking about your grandparents
1: i could see an entire table of cones just eating their food but sweating and tears <laughs> yeah. coming down their <laughs> yeah. face while they're doing it and enjoying yeah. it nonetheless yes. All right, lots to talk to uh, talk about this this episode here. Lots to tackle. We have one big free agent already off the board. Aaron Ola going back to the Phillies. I want to touch on the assertiveness that the Braves and the Phillies have because the Braves made some moves this week. Cardinals filling up the back end of the rotation uh Yoshinobi Yamamoto finally posted I want to talk about realistic contract expectations for him we'll take a look at Brandon Woodruff's situation dive into some Yankees chatter as well but let's begin with the opener like we do each and every week David what do you have for
2: us
0: well you know I, I, I have a sort of an interesting story you know as <clears throat> as a free agent I had several runs of free agency and at the end of my career I went on a sort of a series of one-year deals with the Yankees uh, right down to the end so Uh, You never know when these things are going to hit, you know, it could happen at any time. And everybody's wondering, you know, maybe there's there should be some rules changes, maybe, uh, you know, uh, some sort of structure in the offseason that puts parameters or limits on a signing period, so to say, or a moratorium through the holidays or something like that. But what happened to me was one year signing with the Yankees, the negotiations went all the way to Christmas Eve. And we ended up coming to a deal with George Steinbrenner on Christmas Eve. And George wanted the announcement to go right out. He called his PR director, Rob Butcher, at the time. And Rob Butcher was home for the holidays. He was from Cincinnati. He was like, it's Christmas Eve. I'm home with my family. And George just flew off the handle like a Seinfeld episode, fired Rob Butcher. I felt terrible when I heard about it later. I'm like, ah, you know, every time I see Rob Butcher to this day, we kind of laugh about that story. It turns out to be kind of a a blessing in disguise for him. He ends up getting the PR job with the Cincinnati Reds. Is still there to this day in his hometown. So, you know, ironically, it worked out. But at that time on Christmas Eve, you know, I we announced that we announced a free agent signing, and George George wanted it to go out now. He wanted his PR director there. He wanted us to have a press conference. He wanted it to be done now.
1: That's a uh, that's a an and awesome story and it is it does have a happy ending because like you mentioned rob's still in cincinnati <laughs> running the reds yeah. pr department so he gets to go home and all that but yeah it like raises the bigger question here because we, we you know, i automatically think baseball holidays i think about the red sox pursuit of kurt Schilling going into the 04 season like they literally had thanksgiving dinner with the shillings to conduct business here like do we need a do we need a break from that gentlemen?
0: Well, James and I have talked about this. I know James has has had some ideas on this, and uh, you know I'm not sure what the answer is, but be, especially when you consider, you know that, and especially in this year, the probably the best free agent out there, one of them is is subject to a posting system coming from Japan, and there's sort of a limit. You know, I think it's a 45 day limit. I know James uh, has the the specifics on that, but that kind of throws a monkey wrench in to some sort of structure or a limit in off season signings when you have a posting system that you have to adhere to because of, you know, the Japanese baseball agreement, uh, professional leagues with major league baseball.
2: Right. And look, it's just a, just a little idea for, you know, a, a moratorium kind of how they suggest teams to avoid making big news around the world series and the playoffs. Uh, maybe if they just, you know, take Thanksgiving off, take, take the Thanksgiving weekend off, let everybody, be with their families, have, you know, a regular Thanksgiving and then get back into it. Same thing, you know, Christmas, New Year's Eve, whatever. Uh, you know, just uh, to make things a little easier for people uh, around, around the holiday season. Well, the Phillies made
1: things easier for... Aaron Nola because he is the first big fish off the board in this free agency period a couple of other pitchers came off the board but Nola was one of the top overall free agents not just in the pitching department seven years 172 million he goes back to Philly a place it's obviously the a place that he wanted to return to they wanted him back they get it done how does his return though affect the rest of the Phillies rotation needs
0: it's a great question. Um, I think, you know, they, they probably like who they have and, and I'm not sure if they're going to uh, be able to rely on some of their prospects. They had some in- injuries to some of their top prospects pitching wise last year. Um, uh, so it remains to be seen. I know they're really high on Christopher Sanchez who had a 3.44 ERA last year, almost a strikeout, uh, per inning or per nine, so our nine per nine, a little under nine per nine, I think was his rate of, of case. Uh, so, you know, I think they're counting on him, a young, young pitcher. They really like Taiwan walkers under contract. He keeps the ball in the ballpark, keeps the ball on the ground, but he doesn't strike out a lot of people. He, he's well below average in his, his strikeout rate. So, yeah, I'm not sure if they're, you know, if they're looking for missing bats, you know, Nola and walk and, and certainly Wheeler are are good in that category. And Ranger Suarez certainly has the potential as well. So I kind of feel like they're, they're okay. Uh, A lot of it depends on their top prospects and whether they get healthy or not and who they can kind of feed through the minor leagues uh, in a case of an injury or something like that.
2: This was just a move that makes a lot of sense uh, for both sides. Uh, Nola has really been a rock in, in the, Philly's rotation for a while now and is as he gets deeper into this deal he'll, he'll be rising up a lot of the Philly franchise lists for seasons and games and starts and wins and all these things um, as far as the the their overall rotation goes this is it's a little weird because you know usually you don't see one of the big ticket free agents sign this early except sometimes you do if they're re-signing with their original team and you know good for the Phillies good for Nola but it's kind of like you're right where you started because you're just re-signing your own guy. Uh, looking at the rotation, Coney, you're spot on with Christopher Sanchez, um, a really promising pitcher to be in the in the back of the rotation. You mentioned Walker. He'll probably slot in in the four spot after signing that four-year deal. Uh, Sanchez, a 3-4-4 ERA in the strikeout to walk numbers, 96 Ks and only 16 walks in 99 innings. And he's a really good ground ball guy too, 56% ground ball rate. And he threw 99 innings last year. So this is a good spot for him to, to increase in innings and maybe not go right to 160, 180 or whatever. But this is something where he made 18 starts and that he can bump up his, his workload a little bit more this coming season. So I think the Philly rotation, when you have Wheeler and Nola at the top, Sanchez at the back, Ranger Suarez, a solid guy in the middle. And I think the Phillies uh, rotation's in a, in a good good shape going into the next season.
1: See, I'm a, in a bit of a disagreement with both of you. I think there's room for the Phillies here to leave a uh, little doubt in where they stand in the entire MLB pecking order. They Their obvious window to a championship is right now. Dave Dombrowski isn't shy about pulling off that big move. And I, I think they need to make another move for that rotation. Ranger Suarez is a four. And Tywin Walker as a 5 sounds a lot better than Suarez and Walker as 3 and 4, respectively. So whether it's another free agent on a lower tier, maybe it's trading for someone. You know, no one's mentioning the Phillies linked to uh, Dylan Cease or Tyler Glass now, but I think they need that formidable surefire number three starter behind Wheeler and Nola. And I, I hate talking like this because it's it's just the nature of pitching though. As much as I love seeing it, the odds of Wheeler and Nola just logging 200 inning seasons year in and year out. I don't think it's realistic in this day and age. So it would help this staff to have another dependable arm. And, and James, I look at it the same way you do a similar light as, as the Yankees bringing Aaron judge back last year. Like, yeah, you got your guy back, but you didn't, actually improve your roster per se so you're back at the place you ended last season there's still work to do in my mind for the Phillies rotation people back to toe in the slab in a moment but I need to remind you as we gear up for these winter months with frigid cold temperatures there is action on the field that's going to keep everything hot in the streets that is with DraftKings and we've teamed up with DraftKings which is an official partner of the NFL to get you closer to that hot action right now new customers who bet just 5 bucks, will get $150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings app now. Use promo code SLAB. If you're a fan of multiple teams and want to bet on all of them at once, combine multiple bets together for a shot at an even bigger payout. And if sports betting's not yet available in your state, not to worry. You can still join in on all the fun with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. New customers, use promo code SLAB bet is five bucks on any wager. You get one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets instantly. That's promo code SLAB S L A B only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Another team in the NL East, they did some serious heavy lifting over the last week or so, and, and I don't think a lot of people were paying attention to the extent in which the Braves uh, fortified their bullpen. Uh, they they made a bunch of moves, most notably bringing in Aaron Bummer from the White Sox in a big trade, but they also signed Ronaldo Lopez who started, who's relieved in his career. They signed him to a three-year deal. It sounds like they're going to be giving him a chance to start. Why do you believe Atlanta is going this route and having Lopez potentially serve a role in the back of the rotation?
0: Well, we've always talked about Major League Baseball kind of being a copycat sport, but I really feel like Alex Anthopoulos is ahead of the curve right now. He's running that organization extremely well. Um, and this is a good bet, sort of in the same vein as a Seth Lugo last year, or a Zach Eflin last year. they are the kind of relievers that really want to be starters. There's real, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, underlying value there to be had at a low risk uh, contract signing, even three years at thirty. We know that Ronaldo Lopez can easily be a multi inning reliever, or even a high leverage reliever at that point. His strikeout rate really jumps in the bullpen. But pitching in at Atlanta for a really good team that's well supported means a lot for young starters to make that transition it's a lot easier to do it on the Braves than it would be with the White Sox because the White Sox obviously struggled a little bit struggle scoring runs struggle catching the ball the Braves are just the opposite end of the spectrum and I'm just speaking from experience when I pitched on the 1998 Yankees the pressure was off of us as starters Because we knew we were going to be well-supported. We had great defense behind us. We had great run support behind us. If you gave up a three-run home run in the first inning, it's okay. Hold them right there. We're going to come back. You're probably going to win this game. If you keep it right there, you could go five or six innings and give up three or four runs. You're okay on a really good team like that. And that builds confidence. So I think uh, Anthopolis made great bets here. That's really what GM GMs do now with all, all the information they get, all the data, all you're doing is trying to predict the future, trying to, trying to use your models of of data to predict the future in terms of what Renando Lopez could do as a starting pitcher. These are good bets, good, safe bets at low risk. As you said, bummer too, as well. You know, they didn't give up a lot to, to get him as well. Probably guys that were going to non-tender anyway. It was going to, I think, five players involved in that deal. Uh, all those players weren't in Atlanta's plans. So they, they get a left-handed nasty reliever that's undervalued because of his numbers last year, his high ARA. Bummer's ERA was over six. But, you know, look under the hood was much better. So, uh, once again, Alex Anthopoulos ahead of the curve. Yeah, first of all, I I like the Bummer
2: pickup. Now, this is a guy from 2019 to 2022. He had a 2.59 ERA. And last year, the ERA ballooned to 6.79. But his fielding independent pitching was 3.5 and and really in the same neighborhood as he was in those previous years when he was a really underrated, really strong lefty reliever. So it's a good bet to say, hey, we think he's going to balance back out, back to normal with him, and he'll kind of settle in to a, a really good bullpen that they've built out there. As for Lopez, I, not to say I don't really buy the, the, the starter aspect because, look, his, his last season as a starting pitcher was 2019. His last good season in a, in a big league rotation was 2018. So I just think that between that and I think the Braves are, are still going to be in the mix to, to land maybe a big fish type of starting pitcher, I think it'll be best for Lopez. Hey, look, you could always try – be stretched out and you can always move a guy back to the pen it's easier to go that way than the other way but if you have like a strider freed somebody else morton and elder in your rotation then your bullpen iglesias minter bummer pierce johnson lopez joe jimenez tyler matsek now you have that's a really stacked bullpen
1: yeah that bullpen is is loaded if all the pieces come together i'm with you i think the braves are still going to try and add another starting piece, but this is a, a solid safety net. If it doesn't happen that way, if if plants fall, they're going to have Lopez potentially at the back of that rotation behind the names that, that you just mentioned here. Um. So, so the Braves go ahead, James.
2: No, it's just saying, does this mean that the Braves have to go out and get Lucas Giolito? Because <laughs> Giolito and Lopez came up together in 2016 with the Nats. <laughs> they went to the white Sox together in the Adam Eaton trade. They stayed there for six or seven years. And then they both did the White Sox-Angel-Guardians three-step together last year. So they've been teammates every single step of the way in their big league career. So maybe uh, Rob Manfred has to uh, decree that the Braves have to sign <laughs> Lucas Giolito.
1: We need a Manfred mandate here. Uh, i tell you what, it would probably wouldn't cost them as much as the money that they seemingly just moved off their books with all these moves over the last week or so, a one-year deal with, with Lucas Giolito. I think that's what he's projected to only receive, a one-year deal. Uh, But the the Braves doing a lot of business, the Phillies taking care of of Aaron Nola here Uh, in terms of connecting those two parts here, Joel Sherman of the post, I thought he made an interesting point in an article this week. He wrote that the Phillies, the Braves are two of the most aggressive teams when it comes to baseball operations and, and quote, what they need. They go out and get meaning that they don't go halfway uh, with an acquisition, they don't supplement one area of the roster to theoretically get better in another and and more often than not they don't use the the clock this schedule whether it's in season or off season and kind of play chicken with teams or agents they act fast when they need something so if you ran a team would you be proactive like atlanta or philadelphia or more calculative like uh, the 28 other teams nearly every other team which way you going (laughs)
0: I, it depends on, obviously, uh, factors involved. You can't move fast with you know a Bryce Harper signing back when they signed him. Uh, you can't move fast with a, a top-tier free agent that is entertaining or making the tour and listening uh, to every team or every pitch that comes his way. But you certainly can with your own players, like an Aaron Nola. You can attack and, and go quickly. They, you know, obviously, in Philly, there's something about Philly. The, the players love playing there. The fans love the players there. It's really a special place right now. Um, but yes, I would. I would definitely be proactive, especially in terms of identifying talent or undervalued assets, like Alec and Anthopoulos did here with with uh, Ronaldo Lopez and Aaron Bummer. I think they they identified those as thing as players they can move quickly on. Players they really saw something in the underlying uh, un- you know, underlying metrics there that that, t- that sold them. So yeah, I'd love to be very decisive when you can be. But sometimes, uh, you know, a big ticket free agent won't allow that to happen.
2: Yeah, it's, you know, sometimes the uh, these things are out of your control. And when you're the team, yes, you're trying to be aggressive and, and make moves. But a lot of times, whether it's a free agent player or a team that you might want to trade with, they're going at their own pace. So, you know, if, you're, if you want to trade for Juan Soto, we don't even know if the Padres are going to move him or not. And Yoshinobu Yamamoto he's the, 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 the biggest free agent pitcher out there right now. And I mean, you have this posting period, so there'll be negotiations, but that'll probably go down to the wire. We were talking uh, a week or two ago about whether or not it's going to be before Christmas, after Christmas. Well, the deadline now for Yamamoto now that the posting period has officially begun is January 4th. So that might go down past new year's and, and maybe right down to, to five o'clock Eastern on, on January 4th. So in the meantime, you can do smaller moves, which is like what the Braves are doing. Because if you have your off-season to-do list, your checklist, some things, hey, trade for Juan Soto. That might have to wait a while. In the meantime, you can make smaller moves. If you're trying to get two outfielders, well, maybe you put that on the back burner and you can make a, a smaller move for for a, a lower tier outfielder or, or patch up the bullpen or, or what have you or back end starter, like we've seen. Uh, no, you know, no Yamamoto off the board, no Snell off the board, but. Kyle Gibson, Lance Lynn. So those those maybe those kinds of moves are there.
1: I'm with you. Like you can't speed up the you know, Shohei Otani's schedule through all this, through all free agency this offseason. But going back to what we were talking about before, if there's the one team that you're counting on the most to to push out the the press release on a Thanksgiving or a Christmas season right now, I think it's the Atlanta Braves because you don't hear too many rumblings or reports until that move's actually announced and it's always announced by the Braves themselves they put out the the stealth press release so i i, I wouldn't be shocked if that happens over the next few days in terms of Thanksgiving and the Braves making a move um uh, the, the moves that they made last week freeing up the the spots on their 40 man roster freeing up some coin it it does feel like it's going to lead to a bigger move here you james mentioned Lance Lynn mentioned Kyle Gibson uh, Kyle Gibson Two pitchers finding new homes on one-year deals. They both joined the Cardinals, and they're going to be joining the back end of this rotation because I do not think that the Cardinals can get back to the postseason with Lynn or Gibson near the front of this rotation. So will St. Louis make a bigger splash addition to front its pitching staff? What do you guys think?
0: They probably should, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, Jordan Montgomery was a great fit there. You know, I don't know whether his experience was like there or not. Um, I know they feel like they have some prospects. They're about a year away coming up through their system. St. Louis has done a pretty good job over the years of developing within the the Cardinal way, as they say. So this is an old school move in a new school world, right? I mean, you're, you're betting on the influence, the reputation that Kyle Gibson had. Such a great influence in that Baltimore clubhouse. A great guy and an innings eater. And the same with Lance Lynn, sort of this fiery competitor. I mean, John Boy's kind of had some some great clips on Lance Lynn and his his outburst on the mound, the kind of fire that he pitches with. Now, neither one of them are, are, are pitchers like they used to be, or certainly in terms of missing bats in today's game. The event, the value of the strikeout rate being above average as a starter has a is really uh, you know uh, has a spotlight on it nowadays. That's that's really desirable, but. This is an old school move. Hey, we love the what's the chemistry these guys bring to the clubhouse. They're going to help us in one year, fill up some innings, and then get us sort of to our prospects, you know, at midseason or a year later. It, the timing of who the next in line is in terms of for the for the Cardinals, who comes up is really kind of in play here. But you know, as I said before, both of those guys are great fits in the clubhouse, veteran guys that will give you innings, but they're not the prototypical swing and miss guys like they used to be. Although Lance Lynn is, you know, even though he gives up the home run, home run ball, still, still could kind of miss some bats. Kyle Gibson's more of a veteran innings eater at this point and a great presence in the clubhouse.
2: Will the Cardinals make a a bigger splash? They better. Uh, I, I would like this move. If they, if they had targeted one guy, one of these guys and said, Hey, he can be our veteran leader fifth starter and just kind of soak up innings there. But now you, you have them op- occupying two spots in the rotation you have miles michaelis who is another innings eater he's a 200 inning guy and, the, and those guys are rare but again doesn't really miss bats they ha- they seem to have a type there and you, you can't build the whole staff out of that because ultimately as much as as much as i like Kyle Gibson in baltimore helping the young pitchers he had a 4.73 era last year it's great that he made all 33 starts last year. He really answered the bell Lance Lynn 32 starts. So even though they're in their mid to late thirties, you can count on them to take the ball every fifth day, but there's a run prevention element here too. So you're going to have to have a lot of the other rest of the load carried by your other starters and Michaelis Gibson, Lynn, Stephen, Matz, maybe a Zach Thompson. It, the, the rotation is shouting out for, for one big piece, I don't know if it's Jordan Montgomery, I don't know if it's Blake Snell, but that I do think they they have to make they have to reel in a, a bigger fish to uh to shore up that rotation.
1: Yeah, I don't think there are any guarantees, but the Cardinals' rotations screaming for like guaranteed quality. I I I do like these moves. I I do like the fact that you have three bulk innings either even at thirty six. Lance Lynn pitched over one hundred eighty innings last year. Michaelis you know in a sneaky way like you said james accumulated over 200 innings Uh gibson there as well so yeah the cardinals should make another move here they need front end help whether it's a montgomery a sunny gray and free agency trade market glass now cease shane bieber the same names we keep discussing here they don't have an ace they don't have a starter who can pitch in front of the Michaelises and now the lins and the gibsons they need a leader who can kind of do what those pitchers can do right at the top and more for sure um uh, kind of like a guy like Yoshinobu Yamamoto we haven't heard the cardinals in the market for for him so to speak we uh, they're, they're they're not one of the teams that we hear linked to this japanese phenom 25 years of age and because of that age you guys i think is the reason why we're hearing in my opinion outrageous numbers like 9 year 10 year deals for this pitcher i don't see that happening the market could say otherwise here is yamamoto who has not thrown a single pitch yet in major league baseball actually going to receive a deal uh, let's put the number greater than eight years what do you think
0: quite possibly because of his age he's 25 years old so the bet you're making or Or, uh, in his prime, on his prime years. A big difference between somebody who's 28, 29, or 30 years old and getting that eight-year deal. Uh, we've seen this in the past over the last several years where a lot of uh, front offices want to mitigate the hit on the lux- luxury tax, so the spread in the number of years on the contract is more a factor of that staying under the luxury tax and managing your budget year to year than it is, you know, uh, the, the players demanding the, the, those long-term deals. It's kind of a two-way street as far as that goes. But yes, he should get that, that many years uh, because there's that many bidders involved. He's that accomplished coming from Japan. And also he's 25 years old. So absolutely. I mean, you're going to see, uh, depending on what his needs are and what his wants are, and whether there's opt-outs involved or whether he just picks a franchise he really wants to to play for, uh, there's lots of ways this this the structure of this deal could go. But absolutely, a 25 year old, one of the best pitchers in the world, we think. Um, Brian Cashman scouted him in person. Uh, every team that that's in on him has seen him pitch enough in person. Yes, the answer to your question in a long-winded way. <laughs> yes.
2: I'll go, I'd go 8-plus to keep the AAV down, and again, we're beating the drum. He's 25. He's 25. He's 25. So if you sign him to a, an 8- or 9-year deal, it will take him until year 7 to be as old as Aaron Nola and Blake Snell are right now. So Nola is 31. Snell's 31. Jordan Montgomery's 31. Eduardo Rodriguez is 31. Sonny Gray's 34. You go back into, into past years in free agency, Carlos Rodon was 30. Kevin Gaussman was 31. Robbie Ray was 30. Zach Wheeler, 30. Garrett Cole, 29. Ah, finally someone in their 20s, and Cole got himself a nine-year deal. Some pitchers that are 25 stateside that are going into their age 25 season in 2024, Spencer Strider, Brian Bayo, Tanner Bybee, Bryce Elder. These are, are good young pitchers who just got here, and if they were free agents today, what kind of deal would they get? So... The, the, the structure of this is, is so unusual here because you have a guy who's so young coming to the States as a free agent and uh, the sky's the limit, especially when you, you get the get the possibility of a bidding war. Yeah, the
1: unique nature of it is, is I think, the reason why we're having these discussions. But at the same time, you know, I, look, eight-year deal, could it take him until he's 33? That sounds appetizing if I'm a decision maker f- for a team. Even a 10-year deal, you'll be 35. But can can these owners and and these heads of baseball operations can they wrap their heads around this kid who's 25 never thrown a pitch in the majors he could theoretically command like the large the 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 richest pitching contract in history are we actually going to do that are we going to go that far that's a big question that needs to be answered
0: no absolutely it needs to be answered uh the difference is you have much more information today in terms of evaluating his stuff it isn't just sort of the eye test oh our, we've got our best uh we've got our best advanced scouts that have seen him pitch and they've written their handwritten reports no we can measure everything now the quality of his pitches the movement on his pitches you can compare that with with everybody that, that that's in the database uh, across the way so to me that's one of the ways where are scouting and analytics has really helped front offices make more uh, objective decisions and trying to bet on a future. Cause it really, that's really what they're doing. They're making bets. How many times have we heard Brian Cashman say that, you know, we're going to make our bets here and live or die with it. Uh, sometimes those bets are good and they work out. Sometimes they're bad. Sometimes you get in a bad rut of decision and making bets and they, and they don't work out and that's where the Yankees find themselves. And that's why you, the Yankee fan base is so angry. You know, with, with some of the decision making over the years. But at the time that you make the decision, you do have more information. You do make more informed decisions. And with this case, with Yamamoto, you you can compare him and his stuff uh, to, to anybody in the in the game of baseball that, that has the Hawkeye system or has the tracking systems that, that measure the pitches and how good they are compared to everybody else in the world. Right and look, there's there's some red flags here. He's five ten, a buck seventy
2: five. That doesn't really shout out, you know, workhorse ace. Although he has the propensity to throw a lot of innings, and, but he's never thrown a pitch in the major leagues. We don't know how he's going to transfer over. We can be pretty confident. I mean, even if he's even if he takes a little bit of a step back, he's starting at a pretty great baseline. So you could do that. And also, look, the idea is I'd you'd almost rather give him an eight or nine year deal at less money per year than the same amount of money over a shorter amount of years so when you're looking to assess you know how is this deal going to go you're looking at the total value of the contract however many hundred million dollar you know hundreds of millions of dollars it is and say well what's the value you know how how many how many wins did he help us get you know and then and go from there and say well if he gets the same amount of wins stretched out over a longer period of time he could still pay off the deal so to speak so i'm i wouldn't be too worried about the years as long as it keeps the aav down but, uh, you know, the, as far as the, a record-breaking contract, the, the numbers just go up. So whether, you know, if, if he gets $275 million for, for nine years or something, that's it's not really going to be apples and oranges compared to free agent contracts from two years ago or five years ago or ten years ago.
1: Yeah, one team is going to be making a big bet here.
0: Yeah, No, let, let me just finish on that point. Thanks, James. Um, um, Shaq. The last time we saw a really undersized pitcher that was evaluated in terms of his size and saying he can't last, he's going to break, we better get rid of this guy, it was Pedro Martinez with the Dodgers, who's like five nine, a buck 65 at the time. And that's the reason the Dodgers traded him. And Pedro was great for the Dodgers. He had unbelievable numbers, both in the bullpen and whatever starts he got. But their team doctors, and there was a recent article about this actually, uh, their, their team doctors... And, uh, you know, Tommy Lasorda at the time said, you know, what? I don't know if this guy could last, you know, he's probably going to break, you know, physically. And that was based on medical data back in whenever that was back in the late eighties, early nineties, probably more early nineties at that point. So how much further along are we are in terms of medical data? I don't know. It's still kind of speculative. We have a lot better information now in terms of biomechanics and how efficiently a body moves. And I'm a big fan of that, but you know, the, I'm not sure size should should be a big part of that. I think the efficiency of how your body moves is much more important. Pedro's body was pretty efficient the way he threw a baseball for a lot of years. So I'm more interested in that than the prototypical six four two twenty 220 starting pitcher model just because of his body type.
1: And to reiterate from our last episode, I think we're going to be getting these answers rather quickly and maybe not next week after Thanksgiving, but I still think you're going to see Yamamoto sign with a team before Christmas. So well ahead of when that posting period ends, I think it's January 4th is when the the posting period ends. Um, There's a pitcher who I think a lot of team doctors are having discussions about. Uh, That's Brandon Woodruff. One team's going to be making a bet here and they could potentially look pretty smart in a year or two with Brandon Woodruff. He was non-tendered by the Brewers. Obviously he underwent a procedure that's going to knock him out for potentially all of 2024, maybe not the case, but a good chunk of 2024. And we've seen pitchers in the past ink, you know, a a one-year deal with options with teams when they're coming back from major shoulder operations, arm operations, I'm wondering here, guys, what what does a realistic deal this offseason look like for Brandon Woodruff? Well,
0: it's going to have to be very, very creative in the structure. I mean, we, we've seen it in the past. I mean, uh, even on the reliever side, we saw Toronto do it with Chad Green, and he kind of paid dividends for them. He pitched well for them down the stretch, and now he's going into next year in, in the back end of their bullpen, so... Uh, it would obviously, you know, you're biting the bullet on the year basis. The first year, maybe you could backload the structure, give him a little bit of uh, protection with an opt out. But, you know, it's a delicate balance to take on an injured player to, to know you're going to get nothing from him for the first year, and then everything's backloaded, and then you're betting on him coming back healthy. So once again, you're relying on your team doctors, the medicals, the the physical, how well he's doing, how's he recovering. You know how does this compare to to other pitchers who have had similar injuries? I mean, there's so much that goes into it. But in terms of your question, the structure of the deal, there has to be a little bit of prote- uh, protection on both sides. Obviously, the team is taking a big risk, and the player as well. On the back end, uh, is there if he comes back and really performs at an extremely high level, does he have some protection in terms of an opt out or some sort of mutual option on the back end? Woodruff
2: has been one of the better pitchers in the national league for the last few years. Uh, going back to 2019. He has a 2.93 ERA and his 15.8 war is eighth in the national league. So it's a real, a real kick in the teeth that he has such a serious injury right when he was going into his walk year. Um, now we've seen this, you know, rehabby and then bounce back year contract for a, a, a while now but a lot of times that's coming off Tommy John and this is not to diminish Tommy John. I feel like people are often pretty flippant about it. Like, Oh, get Tommy John. And then you come back. But the, these, the shoulder, the the shoulder capsule, the torn shoulder capsule injury history is m- much more uh, grim uh, for these kinds of injuries. Michael Bauman did a, a good piece in Fangraphs uh, this week about that, comparing it to Tommy John and, and it's, it's not pretty the, about guys that can, that can make it back. Um, you know, we see, you know, Herman Marquez and you mentioned Chad Green do this kind of deal coming off Tommy John, but this, the shoulder come back, it's, it's a little dicier. So I don't think we're going to see that same kind of structure, or maybe if we do, it'll be for less money. Uh, and it's a shame because Woodruff, a terrific pitcher. And as Bauman uh, pointed out, he said, you know, if his shoulder could have held it together for another 18 months, he probably would have made over a hundred million dollars in a contract.
1: Yeah. I, th- that's the distinguished point in all of this, Tommy John and capsule surgery, obviously very, very different and way more complicated. I could see, uh, you know, a one year deal uh, probably lower than what he was in position to make, uh, which I believe, well, James, do, do you, do you have an idea of what, what it could have been his, his final year of arbitration?
2: Uh, well, we could fire up the old uh, MLB trade rumors arbitration projections and see uh, what they had for yeah, but, uh, but going into the...
1: Why are you doing that? Bottom line, like uh, a team... 11 and a half. Okay, so that's the... I knew it was right around like 13, so it's a little bit less there. 11 and a half with the projection. um I see like a one-year deal and a, a mutual multi-year option happening for a guy like like Woodruff where if he is able to not even throw a pitch in 2024 but to show like hey I'm in line everything's checked out I'm either on or ahead of schedule and I'm throwing the ball well in my rehab you know maybe a mutual option kicks in right then and there if he makes his way back and does a good job he has the chance to go back into the market next year um, I, I, I'm, this is going to be a very intriguing contract guys. The, the layout of it is going to be really, really interesting to see. So I'm anxious to, uh, figure out where Brandon Woodruff winds up. Uh, let's get into our Yankee chatter here. A couple of news items. Brad Osmus hired as bench coach this week. So Aaron Boone has a new Lieutenant in the dugout with him in New York. It's with a former catcher, former Yankee draft pick actually as well. Connecticut native in Brad Osmus. Something else that caught my eye, though, Zach Britton called it a career after 12 years. He announced his retirement, had a terrific career with the Orioles, with the Yankees. And I'm paraphrasing here, but on his way out, Britton was asked about the current state of of the Yankees. And again, paraphrasing, was saying that Yankee Stadium is, is not an intimidating place for a visiting player anymore. They need to get their aura back. They need to sign the best players, bring the best players in. Uh, How much stock should the Yankees take in what a former player like Zach Britton had to say about the current state of the club?
0: Well, you know, I was in a similar spot when I first came to the Yankees and there was talk about, you know, well, people didn't really really want to go to the Bronx. It's a tough place to play. That all changed when we started winning and people get a taste of, uh, you know, uh, how boisterous that place can be and how passionate the fan base is. And how it's you know if you succeed in New York, you, it's almost like um, your legacy is submitted forever. You become part of forever in New York. You know, I, I you think I really feel that. I mean, we still talk about Joe DiMaggio, right? We still talk about Mickey Mantle long after they're gone. We still talk about Yogi Berra. I mean, that's certainly the the cream, uh, uh the, right at the top. But there's other guys that fall right in line there too. That if you're part of something special in New York, you are part of forever. And that's, that's just amazing in that fan base to, to to be a part of something like that. So you can get back to that easily. You still have Aaron judge leading the way. He's still one of the most popular players out there. If you had a short list of, of players that you want that, that, free agents or opposing players would want to have as a teammate, Aaron judge would be on that short list. Certainly. So, uh, you know, this, this is why you sign guys like Aaron judge to a long-term contract. That's why you make him the captain because he also becomes your best recruiter. He's in direct contract contact with Hal Steinbrenner. He's very involved in the process across the board as we've seen. And I welcome that. I think that's a great thing. I love the fact that Aaron judge is talking to Hal Steinbrenner. That he's talking to the front office that he has input on how, what the clubhouse culture should be, that how things are run there, how information is disseminated. I think that's great. And uh, this falls in line to what Zach Britton saying that Aaron judge kind of controls a little bit of that as well. And a little bit of winning goes a long way towards changing the culture and uh, the desire of other players or free agents who want to come to New York. Sure. They should put stock in it. Maybe not just because a former player like Zach Britton
2: uh, said so, but just that. That's kind of the recipe for their success over many years. And Kony, you mentioned Aaron Judge. How about the pitching side too? Garrett Cole. So these are, Garrett Cole was one of the more thuddingly obvious uh, signings in in recent years. And he's paying off big time. He's been worth every penny. And contrary to popular opinion, a lot of times these big ticket free agent signings, more often than not, they work out. You know, people talk about uh, Jacoby Ellsbury or something. Well, that's he's more of an outlier as far as guys who sign a 150 plus million dollar contract and then end up being a bust. Most of these guys are playing at that level. And even the teams, Kony mentioned the teams that won, even the teams that didn't win championships, teams that were perennial division winners or whatever in the, in the, in the mid two thousands teams that, you know, angered the fan base or cause they would lose in the first round or losing the ALCS. Those, st- they, those, teams still had hall of famers and, and near hall of famers and perennial all-stars one through nine up and down the lineup you know gary sheffield and a rod and hideki matsui and you know that's when the, the the stadium was still a very intimidating place to play across the street and you can get back to that if you if you win coney yeah you put together a, a great team yankee stadium's gonna get scary again real quick
1: yeah, I, I think the Yankees are smart enough to not completely ignore what what a respected player like Britain's saying here. But they know this isn't the, the shiniest portion of, of the franchise timeline, but they're the Yankees. They that still means something for sure. They have the ability to turn that perception around in an in instant. So uh, am I paying attention to it? Yes, but I'm not You know, posting it on walls anywhere in our offices and and. Making people, you know, really pay attention in in that respect. But you're paying attention to what a former, you know, a former team player rep like Zach Britton uh, does have to say. Who I believe, if he wants a future in the game in some capacity, moving forward. I know he wants to spend more time with his family at this moment, but I'm I'm interested to see where Zach Britton winds up down the road in the game of baseball. Because I don't think just because his playing career is over, I don't think his full career in baseball is over just yet. Um, Let's talk about some potential additions on the pitching side for the Yankees and it's two familiar names and I don't know if we've taken positions on each of these players but do you think that Jordan Montgomery and Sonny Gray or Sonny Gray either way you want to go Montgomery and Gray would they entertain reunions with the Yankees both free agents both in different positions and the Yankees may perceive them very differently, other than just uh proven arms at this point. Would do you think though that the way things ended for those two players, Montgomery and Gray, would entertain reunions with the Yankees and the Bronx?
0: Well, I think the easy answers are Sonny Gray's a hard no and Jordan Montgomery's a maybe at best. Um, so and I, you know, there has to be a mutual desire there, but I'm not sure Brian Cashman would want to go backwards with Sonny Gray, even though, you know, he's obviously right at the ship. He found what he needed in terms of pitching coach or analysis or information that he needed to thrive. Um, yeah. I I don't see Sonny Gray wanting to take a step back in a Yankee uniform. Money does talk, you know, if there isn't a, a blown away offer there for either one of those two guys compared to what they have, they have on the table elsewhere, then maybe something could, could, could spurn that and light a fire. But uh, Sonny Gray, I say hard. No. Uh, for him personally, and even for Brian Cashman's standpoint to take that step backwards and relive all of that uh, previous history they had with Sonny Gray.
2: Yeah. And with you, Coney, I don't think so, but you know, you never know. And also it, it's, you know, Sunny Sonny's different and the Yankees are different. You know, mm-hmm. there was, you know, talk of, you know clashes with with Larry Rothschild. Well, that's different. you know I, I wonder if we could have gotten in a time machine and if, if Matt Blake was around during the sunny gray days how things would have if things could have gone differently here. So I, I don't think uh, Gray is a, a real uh, realistic possibility in New York, but um, maybe Atlanta we, you know we were talking about the, the Braves making a, another move in the rotation. I think he would slide in very well into that Braves rotation. so maybe uh, I'd keep my eyes open for that. And uh, as far as Montgomery goes, again, there was, um, you know, towards the end, he, he had said some things about how, you know, the Yankees didn't want him to throw his four-seam fastball, and, and he complained about that, which I found to be a, a pretty off-base um, complaint because not only is his four-seamer still getting tattooed to the tune of a three thirty three average and 500 slug, this past season, he's throwing his four seamer less often in Texas than he did here. So <laughs> I, I, I didn't get I didn't get that criticism. Um, and so maybe that's another thing where, hey, this ship has sailed and, and, and Monty will move on. Uh, it will stay uh, stay uh, oh, oh, out of New York and, and move along and, and get himself a nice paycheck somewhere else.
1: Yeah, I don't see either happening, per se. I think more for Montgomery needs to make sense. C.E.N.T., S right there it's all about the you know money could speak in that situation for Sonny Gray uh, James hit the nail on the head like it's a it's a new pitching age with the Yankees from an organization standpoint than what it was in 2018 when when Gray was around Sonny's new uh, or more you know I guess not new but like more matured um he's figured things out the Yankees have overhauled their entire pitching program since then, since that first go around. So that was a combination of a lot of things. Uh, There's, there's a new pitching shepherd, if you will, with, with Matt Blake, but Sonny Gray is probably at a point where he would say, man, I don't want that in my career. I don't need that. He can go somewhere else, get the bag, uh, join a team like the Braves, potentially like the Cardinals, the Cubs, like, you know, contenders here and not have to do something like that. Unless he has this fiery competitive spirit, and I know he does, but I mean to an otherworldly level that we know nothing about where he really wants redemption in a market like uh, New York, then I I cannot see those two sides coming together again for a reunion. So for Montgomery, if the price is right, Gray, as much as I would like to see it, I don't think it's happening, Uh, but I am in support of, of Sonny Gray for sure um i think i think it would be (laughs) really intriguing i just don't think the sides would would uh come together there with with that much at stake um all right guys that's gonna that's gonna wrap it up here we gotta get out of here we gotta we gotta make the cranberry sauce we gotta put the right ingredients to get the right right kick for the the cone love potion (laughs) uh for turkey day and uh any anything else that you guys are keeping an eye on as we break for this holiday
0: no, it's just, it just feels like Japanese baseball rules right now. We're waiting on two of the greatest players in the world, and they're both from Japan. Otani, where's he going to end up? And obviously Yamamoto, where's he going to end up? Pretty, pretty remarkable you know. that uh, I think Japanese baseball has uh, always had respect, but all of a sudden now, you know what? There's some of the best players in the world that are over there right now. And the best way to beef up your roster is right there in Japan. Uh, and we always claim Major League Baseball is the best baseball, the quality of baseball in the world. It still is. But not all the greatest baseball players of the world are there yet. And there's more to be had, including as you look through Korea, Uh, You know, uh, South Korea's got great professional leagues that are gaining more respect. Internationally, baseball has some tremendous flavor going on, including the United Baseball League, which is going in the Middle East as well, in places like Dubai and and all over the world. So from an international standpoint, I think baseball is poised to explode. It's a global
2: game. And you know what? These guys, they come over here and they play, and they play great. And so the hit rate... uh, especially you know in recent years from Japan, it, these guys are succeeding at a higher rate. you know when the, when they first started trickling over you know decades ago, yeah, you'd have a Hideo Nomo, but then there'd be other guys that maybe didn't pan out but the uh, the success rate on, on guys coming over here is is a lot higher so keep going. <laughs> you know you keep reeling in some of the, some of these players from Japan and, and Korea and elsewhere and uh, uh, I will say I don't think Otani or, or Yamamoto are gonna sign anytime soon so you don't have to keep refreshing. <laughs> MLB trade rumors or, or your social media feeds. Look at, oh, what's Jeff Passett saying? What's Ken Rosenthal saying? Enjoy the holiday.
1: Yeah, uh, r- right there with you, James. They're they're capturing our attention for all the right reasons, but as far as free agency goes in the immediate, in the next seven days or so, uh, rest easy. Take the time, enjoy it with your family. Shoei Otani and Yoshinobi Yamamoto will uh, will not be identifying new homes uh, through the Thanksgiving holiday weekend here. So eat well, spend some great time with your family and friends do some good shopping. If you want to catch those deals. Uh, I don't think any team's going to be catching deals with Otani and Yamamoto around the next five or seven days or the next time that we come back at you with another episode of toe in the slab. So that's going to do it for us here. Happy Thanksgiving to all you out there, David James, our great producer, Dan work happy Thanksgiving to you as well. This is Justin Shackle. We will talk to you next time on toe in the slab pitching with David Cohn, as always a production of John boy media.